It's a privilege to be with you tonight. I don't take it lightly. Um, we are going to get into the Word in just a moment, but I sensed during worship that God wanted to heal something rather specific straight away. And I felt that God wanted, somebody was struggling with pain in their right shoulder, like in their rotator cuff specifically. I did feel like it was potentially this side of the room. Is there someone in this area that like your right shoulder specifically, something, it might not be your rotator cuff, but your right shoulder at least that needs healing. There we go. Okay, can you stand for me? That's the right side of the room. You're on the left, but stand up. Stand up, Josh. Stand up for me, bro. One of the crazy things, I love that Pastor Craig just mentioned Josh. Josh and I grew up in Zimbabwe together. From the age of like, what, three, four, five? We caused a lot of trouble as I was a toddler. And it is pretty crazy that like, we grew up in Zimbabwe. I moved to Neisner, then went to America, then went to Europe, then went back to America, and I'm standing here preaching, and Josh is playing electric guitar. That's, that's kind of a full circle moment. Kind of strange, but that's how the Lord works. I'm like, um, Levi sent a message like, do you know Josh? I'm like, that is so strange. Of course I know Josh. But I want to pray for you guys real quick. Can you just put your hand on your shoulders, please? I just release complete healing over you right now in Jesus' name. I command your shoulders to be healed. For pain to leave right now. Shoulders be healed and made whole. I actually, I feel the healing anointing here. So if you need any healing, can you just stand? Whatever it is. I just want Caleb to sing majesty for a few moments. You're not going to be healed tonight because I am here, but because he is here. The healer is in the room. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is here. So just put your eyes on him right now. Take your eyes off of your need. I just sense this verse in Matthew chapter 8. A leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I love that verse because often he isn't coming to Jesus saying, if you are able, make me clean. The question is not, is God able to heal you tonight? Any, every one of us would agree that God has the ability within Him to heal us. He is the Creator. But the question is not, are you able? He says, are you willing? And Jesus' response is, I am willing, be cleansed. And it's the same response to you tonight. I am willing, be healed. He looks at you today with the same response. I just want you to put your hand on that body part right now. I command healing over your body in Jesus' name. God is willing, be healed in Jesus' name. By His stripes you are healed. By His stripes He bore your sickness and infirmities upon His body in the cross so that you could find wholeness in Him tonight. I release the healing presence of Jesus over you. In Jesus' name be healed right now. Pain leave. Backs be healed. Hips be healed. Eyes be healed. Ears be healed right now. Migraines go. God's healing a knee right now in Jesus' name. An ankle. Somebody has a swollen ankle. It's going down in Jesus' name. Complete healing right now. I just want you to start to test out your body right now. Have faith right now. Test out your body. See if you can, test it out right now. See if you can feel the difference. If 
you can already feel the difference, I want you to wave at me right now if you're standing. Church, look how many hands are waving right now. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus. You are the healer. You are always willing. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. Bro, you need to go to your seat. Otherwise, I'm just going to not want to preach right now. Um, that's amazing, Caleb. It's wonderful to see you. And thank you for leading us in worship. That was special. Inside, I just want to say that sometimes you don't realize when we take something for granted, but you have incredible worship leaders in this house. And, and you have worship leaders that worship is a lifestyle, not an activity. And you, you don't realize how blessed you are to have that. Um, I love Simone, Caleb, and Aunt is one of my dearest friends. And Simone married into it, so she's one of my dearest friends too. Um, but they sincerely love this, and you can tell. They aren't putting on a show, and it's special. And I want to honor Pastor Craig and Janet too for your... Uh, yeah, we can clap. I just want to say... Thank you for keeping the main thing the main thing. You value the presence and the Word of God, and that's inspiring. And we need that in my generation and the generation under us. So I'm thankful for you. It's a privilege to be with you tonight. I do have a word on my heart. I'm going to try my best to put it into words, because you know when it's in your heart, it's more of a feeling or a sense. It's like, God, help me put it into words. Have you ever experienced that? So I'm going to try my best tonight, but I do sense that God wants to encounter some people tonight, a specific group of people that he wants to mark tonight. So I'm praying that that would take place. But I felt all day, actually, as we've been ministering at different churches, I'm with an amazing team from Kingdom Movement School of Ministry, the church I'm a part of. Can you guys stand real quick? We love you. Can we honor them? You guys are amazing. Thank you guys so much. They... They all paid a price to come out and serve our nation. From Portland, where I live, we've been serving at Live Village, as well as multiple churches and, and doing a crusade up in Quantengezi. Um, and it's been powerful to see how God has moved. But one of the things I keep feeling for South Africa is that God is restoring hope to the church. Uh, and what I mean by that is I kept seeing the picture of Peter walking out of, the, out of the boat, and we've seen that picture, right? He's in the boat, and the storm he's afraid of, suddenly he's walking on. And what begins to happen is he, when his eyes are locked on Jesus, he's walking on the water. But as soon as he begins to shift his focus from Jesus to the storm around him, suddenly he begins to drown in the water he was once walking on. And I sense that God is restoring hope because some of us have lost perspective for what God is doing in our nation. And we focus on the storm more than the Savior. And God is saying, look up again. It's time to walk on the water. It's not time to drown. It's not time to be worried. God is not done with South Africa. He's not done with Durban, your city, or your workplace. He's just getting started. He doesn't look at South Africa or our cities and go, I don't know what I'm going to do. He sits on the throne and laughs at the schemes of the enemy. He is not worried about the situation. He is not upset about the situation. He is hopeful for what he wants to do in this nation. And I like what Bill Johnson always says, if you watch the news more than you spend time with God, your anxiety is self-inflicted. If you watch the news more than you spend time with God, your anxiety is self-inflicted. So if you've lost hope, it's time to look at the Savior again. It's time to see what His plan is again, because He does have plans and purposes for our, 
our nation. Amen. And I say our nation because I'm still proudly South African, even though I have no South African blood in me, but that's okay. I'm half Zimbabwean, half American, raised in South Africa, lived in Europe, and now I'm back in America. So, but I'm still South African accent, so that counts. Amen. Um, I, I felt a verse during worship out of Psalm 37, verse 3. So if you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 37, verse 3. And I, I do sense it's a prophetic word, um, a prophetic verse for what God is going to do tonight in some ways. It says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. What a promise from God. How many of us would be like, I want all the desires of my heart? Every one of us would be like, me first. But the last thing that comes with that is how do we get there? Enjoy God. Delight in Him. Enjoy Him. Be with Him. We complicate it so much. God's like, you want all my promises? Delight in me. Learn to enjoy me. Learn to host me and I will give you everything. The thing about this verse is when we hear that, we go, wow, all the dreams inside of my heart, God's going to make come true. Some of us are like, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to get a mic. I'm going to write songs that they play on my worship songs on the radio. It's all going to happen. God's going to give me my dreams. I'm going to move to the UK or Australia. It's going to happen. All my dreams. The problem is, or the answer is, but when you delight in Him, your dreams change. Because here's the reality. A lot of our dreams are birthed out of lack. But once you've delighted yourself in Him, it's abundance, so your desires change. So the dreams that were birthed out of lack to meet a need inside of you fall away. The desire to have that dream come true, to have influence, to feel validated falls away because you've become validated by Him. The desire for more finances and money falls away because you realize those things will never fill the void inside of you. The dreams that you had outside of Him begin to fall away and all that is left is the dreams that He placed in you. And that's what's going to happen tonight. I feel like God is almost brushing off the dreams that we birthed in our heart outside of Him. And He's almost restoring this, this goal inside our heart. Like, what are you called to? And we're leaving here with vision again for what He placed inside of us. The original call and desire that He put in our heart before we were even born, He put it in there. God's going to remind us of that thing tonight. I want to read a verse that will seem kind of random right now, but it will make sense later on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, You are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lampstand and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. It doesn't say I am the light of the world. It's Jesus talking. Interesting language. You are the light of the world. He goes, how will my father be glorified? By you shining. So I remember it was so interesting. I didn't realize one of the things, God kind of, not tricked me, but I didn't really know what I was getting into when I got into ministry. I was like, I get to travel and preach. That's amazing. And it is. And then all the um, opinions came. I didn't know that I signed up for everyone's opinions when I, got, like, when I got a platform. I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know I'm opening my, I don't know by somebody following me on Instagram, that means I want their opinion, but apparently that does. They follow me and apparently that means I want their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not following you, I don't want your opinion. I love you, but it's okay. Side note, some of you are like, wait, what? Are you calling me out? Some, no, hopefully no one in the room. Um, so I remember this one time, right? I get invited by one of my friends who loves the Lord is releasing a book. She invites me to her book launch. I go, beautiful, t- top of a um, skyscraper, overlooks the city. I'm with my friends who love the Lord. We had her book launch. At the book launch, there's some people who don't love the Lord. Some people that won reality shows or like some people that won idols, these influential people. I kind of feel out of place a little bit, I'll be honest, but I'm sticking to my friends that love the Lord. Yes, I met other people. I made the mistake of posting it on my Instagram. Even though I posted my friends that I was with. Open the floodgates of heaven. Everybody's opinions came flooding into my DMs. People are like, you are being influenced by a Jezebel. And I'm like, because of one story? It's crazy how that happens. And I'm like, okay, someone's like, you compromising? You used to walk in holiness, and now you're here? And I'm like, because I was with my friends that love the Lord? And people started to assume because of where I was, I was around unbelievers, and they started to get worried. And number one, they weren't right because the people I was with were believers. But let's say for a second they were accurate and they weren't believers. Wouldn't you be thankful that I was around them? Isn't that the very point of my life is to be in darkness? So we've kind of created these ideas of like what we think is right and wrong. And we try to put it on other people. And it's like we've made holiness being separate from the world. The issue is if holiness is being separate from the world, then Jesus didn't model holiness. Some of you aren't sure. That's okay. I still got time. Okay. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'm not going to read it, but you can see it there. Verse 1 through 10 is the story of Jesus coming into Jericho. Now, I want you to picture it because I think about this often. If, if we knew the God of the universe was rolling into Florida Street tonight. He's walking down the town. I would think in my mind, if he's going to lunch with any of us, it's me and Pastor Craig. (laughs) I'm a man of God. Pastor Craig's a man of God. People know we're the man of God. I would be in the front of that line. Hello, Jesus. I'm the servant. I spend time with you every day. I know you intimately. You heal people through me. It's amazing. Pastor Craig, you know Pastor Craig intimately. You, You share your mysteries with Pastor Craig. We should go have lunch. But what Jesus, so I see the picture in the Old Testament, all the apostles, prophets, in their robes, the best dressed ones in the front, Jesus is coming. And I love Jesus because he goes, I see all of you, but the criminal in the back, I'm going to dinner with you. All of us in the front, no sir. Sorry. I came not for the ones who are saved, but the ones who are lost. He goes, we would have, I would have loved to hear what the Pharisees had to say about this meeting. Because I hear the things in church. Wow, the man of God's with the criminal. He must be stealing from the church. (laughs) Did you hear that Jesus was talking to the woman that has five husbands? She's probably, he might be like sleeping with her. We laugh, but we say things like this. Like, he must be in compromise. He, he spoke to a non-believer, or he has non-believing friends. But that's what she, Jesus is actually one of the greatest 
things I think Jesus was called is a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. That was one of the claims that was made against him as if it was a bad thing, but I think he took it as a badge of honor. The people called him a friend of sinners. Now, we've made holiness staying out of the world, but I don't believe that's holiness. Holiness is keeping the world out of us. So, yes, we are called to holy, but if we're called to leave, see, people come to me and they go, my workplace is so dark, I need a new job. I go, what's going to happen to your workplace when you leave? Like, I'm thankful that you're there. I must become a pastor. No. Only like 3% of the church ends up being pastors. I can't come into your school and preach the gospel, but you can. So it's like we're like, I need that. No, we need you doing what you are called to do. You don't have to leave your darkness. Like, what is the very point of a light? Darkness. This sermon's title is Destined for Darkness. It's the very destiny of our Christian life is to be within darkness. And I'm not saying that we should live in darkness inside of us or that we're destined for hell. You guys understand what I'm saying? We're destined to be in darkness so we can illuminate the darkness. If you are not in darkness, your light is not shining. Who buys a light and then puts a basket over it? It's pointless is what Jesus is saying. So we go, I'm getting away from the darkness. It's like, no, seek darkness. Now, this is more difficult for some of us than others. Like myself, it's very difficult. I'm a pastor at a church. I preach at conferences. All my friends are Christians. So I have to be very intentional to make non-Christian friends. But we have to be around the world. Otherwise, we we don't even know how to reach the people we call to reach. I hear people preaching all the time, and they don't even know the questions that people are asking that they're trying to preach to. It's like a doctor giving a prescription without a diagnosis. We need to know the diagnosis. Like, what are the questions people are asking? I guarantee you they aren't asking what your end times eschatology is. Now, I'm not against knowing your eschatology, but I think we've put priority on the wrong things. We love the Scripture. Please dig into Scripture. We all think differently. We all love different things, but we've prioritized the wrong things. You know what questions they ask me? One of the, okay, how do you know someone does CrossFit? They tell you. Um, <laughs> so, so at the CrossFit gym, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life, being around non-believers. The questions they ask, I'm like, well, I need to change how I preach. The people I'm trying to reach have no idea what I'm even saying. You know the questions they ask? Why do people mumble at your church? I'm like, that's a great question. That's a valid question. The one guy comes to me, I remember, now he's in my house at a Bible study every week. We're friends. I'm discipling him. He comes to me one day. We're barely friends at this point. They just know I'm a pastor. Comes to me, hey, bro, you're a pastor, right? Yes. So you never watch pornography? Kind of loud in the gym, too. I'm like, bro, keep it down. He's like, I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, that's kind of tough. I'm like, yeah, it's hard sometimes. I get tempted. He's like, okay. He just walks off. I'm like, good chat, bro. Now, months later, he's in my house being discipled. But those are the questions people are asking. And the only way we know that is if we're if we in touch with them, if we know the people that we're trying to reach. One of the best things for your Christian walk is to get around darkness. Because you remember why you were created. It's refreshing. You come alive in darkness. Because you remember that it's bigger than you. You need God to show up to transform lives. If we feel complacent, it's because we've got too comfortable. Complacency 
is the um, opposition of growth, right? If we want to grow, we need to get uncomfortable. We need to put ourselves in positions where God has to show up once again. So God is calling us out of our comfort zone into darkness. And I understand because you're like, well, what if I compromise? I'm like, okay, but a ship in the ocean is not a problem. It's only a problem when the ocean is in the ship. I'll say it again. I know you missed it. I used to say, see in the ship, but it was a tongue twister. I gave up. Ocean, a ship in the ocean is not a problem. It's only a problem when the ocean is in the ship. Because a ship is called to the ocean. So now, if, if a ship goes to sea and begins to sink, it wasn't the ocean's fault. The very purpose of a ship is to be in the ocean. We can't stay in the harbor our whole life. We weren't made for the harbor. We were, now, a time in the harbor, great. I understand you encounter the Lord. There's a time, come out from the world, strengthen yourself in the Lord, but you can't stay there your whole life. You aren't called to stay there your whole life. People need what you have. They need your light. We need to be Christians that exude light. One of, and literally, I mean like literally exude light. Here's an example. One of my favorite things that the Lord's been doing in me and I want to invite you into tonight. When Moses comes down from the mountain, his face, no, I grew up in church. It's very easy to learn how to sound spiritual. Can, can we be honest? How are you? God is so good, brother. I didn't ask how God was. <laughs> right? God is so good. No, no, how are you? Oh, blessed and highly favored. Okay. How are you? But, or like, and that stuff isn't wrong. My point is you can learn how to convince people that you are spiritual through your words. Can we agree? Yeah. Um, but Moses comes down from this encounter with God 40 days and 40 nights on this mountaintop. He comes down from being with the Lord. And what I love about it is he doesn't have to convince anyone that he knows God. Why? Because he's literally shining. Not, hey bro, can I share something with you? And trying to share deep revelation to convince them that they're godly. They're like, bro, can you put a veil over your face because you're shining? How many of us would want that? That's pretty amazing. Have you ever looked at someone and you can see they know God? When somebody knows God, their countenance is transformed. Their eyes look different. You can see something unique about them. Knowing God is not a subjective idea. Where it's like, maybe I know, maybe I don't. One of the things of a transformed life is a transformed countenance. Some, I love my generation. They're like, you can't judge me. You can't judge my Christian walk. I'm like, bro, if I walk up to an apple tree and it's not producing apples, I can judge it's not a healthy apple tree. Can we say amen? Like that's not too, okay, but we call to produce fruit. You can't judge me. Actually, the Bible tells me to judge you by your fruit. People are like, how dare you judge me? It's like, well, are you producing fruit? Because your fruit judges yourself. But one of the metrics of meeting with God is a transformed countenance. But here's the wild thing about that verse. You go, well, that's for Moses. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3. This is my invitation. This is the invitation I feel on my heart. 
for myself. How many of you love the verses that provoke you for more? This is, if you want to be provoked for more, read 2 Corinthians 3. I mean, I'm going to read two of the verses right now, but this is what it says in verse 8. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be much more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. He's literally talking about the context of Moses, if you read the passage. He's saying what Moses had, he, he refers it to it as a ministry of condemnation. So he stood before God knowing he was still condemned. And he goes, how much more will the glory of righteousness and the Spirit, that's what he calls our ministry, the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness, it will, ex it, it will exceed it much more in glory. I don't know about you, but that's an invitation. What Moses had pales in comparison to what we have access to. But why are we not seeing transformed countenances? That's the invitation. It's available. Are we willing to go up the mountain? Now, we don't literally go, have to go up a mountain. What you and I have access to, the people of the Old Testament cried out for. They had to watch as a priest would go in to meet with God, but they couldn't. They had to stand there and watch. They had to stand and watch Moses hike up a hill because they couldn't go up. What they longed for, what they saw in a cloud and by fire at night, the presence that rested over the ark of the uh, tabernacle, what rested in that tent, that they dreamed of one day experiencing, we have access to every day. But how many of us will actually pay a price to be with him, to learn how to host him, not make excuses, oh, he's always with me. One of my least favorite quotes in church, it's true, but if he's always with you, why did Jesus have to retreat from the crowd to be alone with him? If God had to do it, I would probably think that I need to do it. We talk ourselves out of intimacy because of complacency sometimes. I'm too busy. If you're too busy to host God, you're too busy. Who had more responsibility, you or Jesus? <laughs> a, few, a few youth groups ago, I was preaching and someone said, preach at white voice. That's why he said that. Somebody also said recently, that's sugar. I was like, that's... A strange one to say. <laughs> but that's what we have access to. But let's not make excuses. Let's let the excuses fall away. Because if Jesus prioritized it, he has more responsibility than me. And you, probably. So, someone's going to come and argue that potentially. But I still lean on Jesus. Savior of the world, taking care of everyone. Kind of a big, a big role. You're like, you don't get it. You don't have kids yet. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus says seven billion, and he still managed to spend time with God. Um, I actually love it when, like, there's a woman in our church that loves the Lord dearly. Whenever I preach this, she'll, like, confirm it, too. She'll be like, I have three kids. I spend more time with God now than ever before because he's a priority to me. I'm like, thank you for confirming it because people <laughs> discredit it. But the idea is it's not a burden to spend time with God either. 
We get to partake in what people dreamed of. That's what we have access to. You get to host the God that created you in your room. You get to know Him intimately. He, he longs to come and be with you. He longs to come and reside in your room. He waits for you to turn your heart towards Him. All day, He's just longing for you just to go, God, I love you. He, he's pulling you into your room to worship Him, but the question is, will we respond? Because this world doesn't need more Christians that profess Him but don't resonate Him. They need believers that shine. That yes, we will preach the gospel with our words, but we will also shine Him through our countenance and our life. Yeah. That when we go into the world, and th this evening I'm just preaching to the hungry people. That's my heart. If, if five or six people catch us in this room, this whole nation can be transformed. I genuinely believe that. God doesn't need very many people. He just needs a few sold-out people. He can do a lot with a few sold-out people. We see that right throughout Scripture. So my prayer is that our hearts would be good soil tonight, that we would take this word and take it to heart, that we would go into our secret place and let this marinate and seek Him. Have, I, I believe that there's people in this room that people are going to start saying, what's different about you? That should be our normal. Why are your eyes shining? You carry good energy, whatever language they use. And you go, that's Jesus. Because that should be our normal. I don't know. I'm just inviting some people into a journey that I'm on. I'm like, God, this seems like what Moses had is not just slightly less than we have access to. It seems like it pales in comparison. The language is very intense. Much more glorious. Nothing compared to what we have access to. And that's the invitation for us. There's two sides to the sermon of destined for darkness. We have to be in the darkness, but when we're there, we have to exude His light. We have to be, when people come into contact with us, here's the question I often ask myself that provokes me. When the world encounters you, do they want what you have? I don't know the answer. It could very well be yes for many people in the room. I'm not saying the answer is no for everyone. I know there's people that deeply love the Lord here. But that's a good, I often ask myself that. Like, I have a lot of non-believing friends. Am I provoking them to want what I have? I remember when I went to the gym, for the first nine months, nobody came to church. They all knew I was a pastor. One of the coaches a few months in who's become a dear friend, was like, I listened to one of your podcasts yesterday on healing. I was like, I haven't preached on healing in years. That could have been a rough podcast. I couldn't remember the podcast. And about nine months later, I was preaching at church. No one had come. And I remember on the second row, there was about 10 people from CrossFit. And now many of them are plugged into the church, attending regularly. But it's because I had to make an intentional decision. I'm going to be there every day. I'm going to show up. And it's super practical too. It's not like, hey bro, I love you. It's like, What's your name? Love is not just a feeling inside. There's actions that come with it. It's not just, uh, 1 John 3 is very strong. Do not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 16, I believe, or 18. Do not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Unfortunately, a lot of the church has become famous for loving in word and in tongue. I see it around the world. It's not words. Like, the world wants to know, do you remember their name the next time you see them? 
When you ask how they are doing, do you remember their answer? When you see them again, do you ask them about the stuff that they told you? Do you remember their birthday? It's very practical. Love is much more practical than we've made it. We've made it a feeling we have inside. Yes, a feeling's the motivation, but we learn the tools. And the tools are very practical. And I even sense as people in this room, and what I feel specifically for tonight, Caleb can come up on the keys, what I feel specifically for tonight is that God is commissioning people back into where you came from. Here's what I mean too. Moses was placed in the palace for a purpose. And there's people here that are ashamed because you were placed in the palace, but God placed you there with a purpose. Joseph was placed in the palace for a purpose. Esther was placed in the palace for a purpose. Sometimes we look at these places and we go, the palace would have been the least godly place in society. Yet God had a plan. And I think there's people here where you know you're called not necessarily to influence or to lead nations. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you call to the world and you've almost dropped that thing and almost become ashamed of it. I feel like God is igniting that fire inside of you again. To go back into the world. Some of you, this is resonating with you. And you're like, man, I'm in the world, but I'm not being a light right now. And God wants to set you ablaze tonight. God wants to set you on fire tonight. You will be surprised when you're already positioned in that place, when God sets you on fire, things change really quickly. You'd be surprised how easy it is. Just saying something, do you want to come to church with me? You'd be surprised how many people say yes. Your colleagues, you would be surprised. Ask your colleagues, do you want to come to church with me? You'd probably be surprised if you're already friends with them, how easy it is. People are very open to the gospel. So can we stand right now? The worship team can come up. Holy Spirit, we love you. You are so good, God. We thank you for what you are doing in this nation and we get to be a part of it. We thank you for what you are doing in this church, in our own lives, in our own neighborhoods, in our workplaces. I sense tonight that word for people being ignited. You know you call to the world. Maybe it's being a doctor. Maybe it's being a teacher. Maybe it's politician. But you're in there and you almost feel stale, like, you, like you've lost your salt. You've lost your purpose in being there. We need you to burn. We need you to burn like we need worship leaders and pastors to burn. You are equally as important. We need you to be set on fire. We need you to set your businesses on fire. Your, far, your pharmacies, your, your hospitals, your schools. We need you to set government on fire. We need to set your teams on fire. If that's you tonight, I just want you to start making your way forward.